Okay, I have Margie K and Wayne Lawrence. How you doing? Doing great. Both doing great. are both are MUFON members, and I'm glad to have you on. I really appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks for having us. All right, and uh, we just had Bill uh, Spicer join us, right? He's joining. I see it. All right, Marge, you got to introduce yourself, and then I'll and you could introduce a team, and they could speak of you know to who they are and what their experiences are. Okay, I'm Margie Kay. I'm the Assistant State Director for Missouri MUFON. I'm also a remote viewer and a licensed private investigator. I specialize in UFOs and also anything paranormal. A few years ago, I came to the realization that I was seeing some things that most people were missing, and it's probably due to my remote viewing abilities. And then I discussed this with my friends, Wayne Lawrence and Bill Spicer, found out they were also seeing the same things, but in a, a little bit different way, all, all three of us. So I contacted them, asked them to write a book with me, and we did that. It's called The Fast Movers, and it discusses super high-speed UFOs and USOs. So with me is uh, Wayne Lawrence. He's the chief investigator for Missouri MUFON, and Bill Spicer. He's an aircraft design engineer in Wichita, and uh, they've both got their unique stories to tell. I was looking at the image on Bill Spicer's, uh, for, for his, uh, his Zoom. It's, it's really interesting. I, I don't know yeah. what to make of it. That, this is Bill. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, my, uh, they call it a UA, it's a UA, it's a drum. Right. That I fly because I do that. Uh, I have a pilot certificate for that for remote piloting. So I uh, shoot videos and things like that with it and then just go fly it for fun. Yeah, it's a unique looking drone. Yep. Yeah, it's it's one of the better ones. Uh, it's about three foot in diameter if you drew a circle around where the props are. Right. And so it's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. I, you it, have to have a big field to fly it in. <laughs> I would have a lot of learning. I'm pretty sure I'd crash that. Um, yeah. Real quick to give you guys, before we get into that, I'm going to give you my, I've done this before in the other podcast. I have this theory about the gray aliens and, you know, and again, this is theory. This is my childhood imagination and curiosity. And then, you know, somewhere in the teens and twenties, I kind of let go, but then, you know, 2017, the government released their images. So I became very interested and I'm recently getting involved with it. And ultimately I plan to build a network, you guys included, and somewhere in December, I'm going to have a big meet and greet with everyone I've had on the podcast already. Uh, so we'll have one large podcast. Everyone gets to meet, greet, and discuss. Uh, but yeah, my my theory in the gray is that they're they're an advanced robot with the consciousness uploaded, and that we're ultimately under a very long term study. Is the conclusion I drew from everything I've read and learned. Now I'm still learning. I'm gonna, as I meet people like yourself and others, I learn more. Uh, I've been very enlightened in the last week. I'll say this much. But all right. So moving forward, what is well? And each one of you speak it. What are your thoughts on what? the grays are and what their agenda may be well as far as the grays are concerned there are a lot of different opinions about that and people have had different experiences with them and there are probably multiple different races of gray aliens and i have heard the theory that you spoke about just a minute ago i've also had personal experiences with them and or a gray alien type that 
has uh, smaller eyes and smaller heads and they were actually doing some healing work on me and I know some other people have had the same experience but then there are other types who seem to be the ones who are actually doing the abduction scenario they're they're they are seen most often in that scenario so a lot of people me included think that they are some type of a perhaps hybrid hybrid biological robot type being because they don't seem to have much emotion although the ones i've seen seem to exhibit some emotion but in most cases they they don't and so that that kind of makes people think that they're some type of a uh, a robot uh, type creature right uh, you know i say because there's really in everything i've read there's real no really no distinction between one another. You know that they, they they don't have like particular personality sets. They it's hard to physically see a difference between them. So, and I always thought, and I heard this on Lex Friedman, a, you know, a scientist on the show, state that it would take something something around ten thousand generations to to travel the vastness of space. So again, this is just curiosity and my imagination and just things I've read. Um, as far as different gray types, <clears throat> excuse me. I've been hearing more of that and I'm trying to study more of it. I, I, and what you described to me makes me think, and this is me using imagination. This isn't science. This is me making me think that they're trying to integrate. If you're seeing sets with smaller eyes and, and their appearances, I have to believe at some level, if it is a higher intelligence, whether it be robots or AI, they're going to want to figure out how to integrate and eventually make them so they could survive, I guess our atmosphere or otherwise. Quite possibly, uh, except that I, believe, I and I believe Bill and Wayne are also of the same opinion that these craft and entities are actually interdimensional. They're not coming from faraway places, light years away. They're here in our in our space, just different dimensions. Right. I'm hearing that. I'm hearing a lot of that too. And, and our ability to perceive them might be again because of their advanced technology and or our ability to perceive it all may, might be limited. And there's, and here, another thing I'm learning, some people, it almost seems like selection or, or some sort of unique ability, more or less have the ability to see these than others. Like for me, an example, I've seen nothing. And that's why I want to go out and look. I want to, I want to find something. I'm dying to. And trust me, I'm going to eventually, with the network I'm building with myself, with you and others, I'm going to be traveling doing a documentary. And I want to go to the spots. I want to interview the right people when I'm out there. I'm not going to be very exciting. I'm not going to be like the shows you see on TV. I'm not going to put suspense where suspense doesn't belong. It's going to be very organic. Yeah, that's that sounds like a fresh approach to it, and and I, I agree with you on that. The thing is that um, the contact with these beans and seeing seeing the the beans and the craft all has to do with consciousness. It has to do with your level of consciousness. And I can 100% prove this to anyone who wants to take, I have a special course, it's a remote viewing course. Um, and and the, the thing is, here, here's the basics. People who meditate are much more likely to be able to see craft than people who don't. And, uh, you know, that's a simple, simplified version of, you know, what it's all about. But... I've been able to see them for years. Bill has seen 
many craft and he's using quantum consciousness what what we're calling the um quantum ufo observation technique and see bill was doing this on his own and i was doing it on my own then when we discussed it we found out we we were each doing it just a little bit differently and he has had great success with uh, actually calling them in and then taking these fantastic videos yeah. and photos and wayne has been doing it as well huh yeah for years i was uh uh i, I meditated every day and I think that does allow you to have a certain level of awareness. Uh, then I kind of left it to the side for, for a while and got busy doing other things. But it's very easy to pick back up and get yourself into that ability to, to calm things down and to focus inside and so on. And uh, I think I then merged what I was seeing um, just daily, on a daily basis, uh, different UFOs, uh, I was able to notice that uh, my, my ability to, to see was getting better because what began first by just observing these fast movers only in frame-by-frame -frame analysis for the videos, then I started to be able to see them actually with my eyes because I had the ability to in a way to kind of slow down time. So I think it goes and does work, work together, just like Marty said. Yeah, yep. it makes sense because I shoot pool. And prior to COVID, when I, I, I you know, in billiards, you focus is large, the largest part of that, right? You don't, you don't have to be a, in fantastic shape to shoot good pool. Um, I exercise a lot. That's just personal preference. I found later on, uh, a friend of mine told me about meditation. Meditation is a powerful tool when you want to heighten or like, for an example, if I want to shoot really good pool and I meditate prior, it allows me to have greater focus when I go. And it's not a placebo effect. It's, it's legit. I can tell you that to a certainty because it's what you're really doing is focusing your mind at the task at hand. So I could, I could fully get behind the idea of meditating to see something or to build a greater perception anyway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I, you you would be a candidate to learn how to do this. I'm open to learn. What? Listen, I am open for whatever. I, I said this. I'd spoken to uh, Stacy Wright from Mufon, and they they take trips. I'm I'm ready to go out and learn what I can learn. I do not want to go the rest of my life and not see. I saw one thing that I witnessed. I've said it many of times. It was a blue orb, probably aqua in color. It was there was a thunderstorm here in Florida. It didn't take off or move away. It was absorbed by the storm. And I had a good, I don't know, if I had to guess, like a minute window. And I was really upset because you're upset. Like, well, I, am I seeing this? And then, you know, logic starts to fall into that place. And where is Jupiter? And I'm right by an airport. You know, it's unfortunate for me, anyhow. But, yeah, I'm, I'm open to learn whatever I have to learn. Believe me. And there's a lot of power in the mind. The mind is extreme. Stress alone can kill people because you allow your mind to run away with you. Well, the whole whole thing is that the contact is telepathic, and once you master that technique, it's it's actually much easier than people think. Uh, they they get the message, you know, and it doesn't matter how far away it is or what dimension it's in. If there's anybody in the neighborhood, they'll get that message and come in. And the other thing is, if you have a group of people who are meditating on the same thing, the same desire, 
that message is stronger and and they'll they'll get it and and they'll show up yeah like a concentrated uh beacon yeah yeah and that makes sense i've read this somewhere i'm trying to think i've just so i'm on these facebook groups right i joined them just before i started the website to kind of learn more uh one of them's mufon global the other one is ufo hunters uh tampa bay paranormal society there's a there's a few of them and I always, every time I think I know enough about something, I find some article somewhere in their, in their feed and I end up reading things. And I read somewhere and I, I want to say that it was through a, uh, maybe a Gaia feed from one of them. And I think I heard something about that where people were, were a mass group of people were uh, meditating to communicate. So it's not unheard. It, it's that's. Oh no, there are a lot of groups doing it. And you're finding good results from all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, Absolutely. I, I can I can guarantee that any uh, one of the three of us, if we send a message out or if we receive a message, because sometimes they'll send a message, which will be just the feeling that you need to go outside right now and look in a certain direction. And you go out there and there they are. It, it's like they're sending you the message as well. Well, that's just happened know. to me so many times. Yep. Or I, I've just gone out. I had the desire, and I don't know why, to put my camera in a certain location and take a video or several snapshots. And every time it's filled with stuff. That, that, that's been my, uh, my uh, method also. It's now I've been doing this for over a decade now and I get a precognition is what I call it. I get a message or a feeling of energy come down into my body and I just know if it's a nice day outside, I better get the camera and I use a cell phone camera now uh, uh, with my uh, filtering and I go out and I just know where to look and there it is. And usually I can even focus right into the direct sunlight and they'll show up. Uh, but there's several other places. They'll, they'll kind of give me a sense of where to look in the sky. Huh? So th this, this, uh, this meditation, uh, I guess, Margie, you teach it. I teach a remote viewing class. Oh, okay. That it that includes the meditation, okay, meditating so, and opening your third eye. Is that something people could do via Zoom, or do you have to? Do yes. That? Okay. It, it's all it's all on Zoom right now during the pandemic. I used to do it in person, but now I now I'm doing it all on Zoom. Understood. Uh, I, I might be interested in learning it. I, I'm big on learning. Uh, to the investigator of the group, it, when you're in the field investigating, what is the protocol you personally run by? When, when, it, when a new case presents itself? Well, with all cases that come in, the, the witness uh, previously will have filed their report, and there's a whole number of pages that ask for details, date, time, what was going on, what did it do, what was the color, just all kinds of descriptive uh, information that the witness can provide. And then as chief investigator, what I do is I assign these to the various investigators, uh, including myself. And I, I've investigated many cases as well. But basically what you do is when you first get the case, you read through what the witness uploaded, and then you arrange to contact the witness. <clears throat> but usually I find that the best thing to do ahead of time is become as familiar with the case as I can so that I can ask some meaningful questions. And it includes uh, using Google Earth, looking at the location that witness said 
here's where it happened. So I get a feel for the topography. Uh, are there any bodies of water nearby? What's the house look like? Is there any industry? Where are there airports? Uh, just a whole host of things. And then uh, I look at corroborating other things like weather, um, a look at flight radar in the direction that they say they saw something just to see if it could have been an explainable plane or something. Also look at sites like Heavens Above, and I've got another one for serious astronomers uh, to show what was present in the sky in the direction that the witness saw. So I can educate myself as to the surroundings of the event. Then I'll get, get in touch with the, uh, the witness, and usually it's by phone call, and we just talk about the case. And I have a series of questions to dive deeper. So that's kind of the, the basics of how we investigate and then delve into it. Yeah, I got to say, I've, I've spoken to a, a number of MUFON people, and they're pretty thorough. I, I don't see any kind of – the rule out that you guys do is pretty impressive, right? I, so far, I've not encountered anyone playing, you know, loosely. They're, they're very thorough about their investigation. Um, yeah, in fact – I'll even go deeper than probably the average investigator. Uh, a few of us use a technique in which we're able to, if it's if they have camera evidence, either video or stills, we can get the metadata from the image to verify the time and the date. Um, and then also, <clears throat> when we know the make of the camera, uh, we can then know what the optics are inside that camera. And that's important because the image is on the inside, you know, just millimeters long within the camera, uh, has a direct relationship with the size of the object. And so if you have a way to establish the altitude of the object, the distance from the object to you, you can then calculate precisely what the size of the object was. And so it just, it just goes and gives further data yeah, I, that's it. Doesn't help. It doesn't hurt that. I mean, look, you, you have a guy with a with a really sophisticated drone on the team too, right? That's uh, that's definitely a plus. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I recently had a podcast some time ago with Mike Penicello, and he's from Mufon, Connecticut. And even in speaking with him, he's very left to right, very analytical. Um, he just doesn't play loosely in his in his investigation. He separates his personal beliefs from his protocol. And I'm finding that that's pretty consistent with MUFON members so far. You know, they, some people gave MUFON a pretty bad rap about them being biased. Here's the thing I say. Better to have someone who has actual experience, someone who's in a, like for an example, would be like Margie had experiences and, and what she teaches and so on and so forth. She's more relatable. It makes people more comfortable to speak with her, in fact, right? Especially when you have a team that's, you have your investigator and Build the drone alone. I'm sorry, but that's that's got to play some kind of major role. You could you could view the scene from just about anywhere. So you got a good team, and and like I can see Margie plays a strong role in in her marketability. So I think I think you guys are that's pretty a plus across so far from Mufon members so far. Honestly, it's very thorough. It's very well thought out. In recently, let's talk about a case that you've come across where. I don't want to say it frightened you. I want to say it put you at unease. Have you come across anything like that? Yes. I came across a case 
lately that I was involved with, and I asked our state director, Debbie Ziegelmeyer, to go with me. Um, and this was in St. Louis. And the, the gentleman who was a witness was actually so scared about what he'd seen. He was, his voice was shaking on the phone. And he was just totally freaking out because what, what happened was he'd had a series of seeing some strange things when he looked out the window, you know, lights in the sky, balls of light coming closer and closer. And then at one point he saw something when he was visiting his girlfriend and he looked out the window and down on the basketball court, he saw some ETs standing there. So he got some photos of them. And then, and Wayne Lawrence worked on this to enhance the, those photos. And what he was able to extract was absolutely amazing and very, I, I, I want to say, well, we know ETs are around and I've seen them myself, but these photos were just creepy. I mean, really creepy looking beings. And in, in one photo, there were at least four or five of them. Three of them looked the same and, uh, you know, very pale white skin. They look kind of like MIBs is what they reminded me of. They had hats on and long black coats. And big, and uh, big round eyes. Big, big, gigantic. It looks to me like uh, sunglasses, but the sunglasses come to the side of the face. So they covered the eyes. If they were, if they were eyes, I mean, that's even more bizarre. But the whole thing uh, just has me a little on edge. And it's hard to get me on edge because I've done so many cases. Uh, but this one is just bizarre. So I got to tell you a couple of things about me. One, I'm a weirdo. I've, I know that guy was terrified. I'm the guy in the movie. I repeat this a lot. You'll hear me say it a lot. I'm the guy in the movie dies right in the beginning because I have to know. <laughs> so, um, I have a theory on the eyes as far as the grades and maybe I'm off or on or... I really think they're scanners, you know, by based on everything I've read and I've read in the last year, trying to get caught up with the, the, all the information based on what I hear, it sounds like you're being scanned. Like they have multiple sensors inside those eyes. You know what I mean? I mean, everything that leads me to that, not, not for all of them. As I'm learning, I'm learning now. There's definitely different kinds of grays. I was unaware there was several types. Oh yeah. There's, there's definitely uh, testimony and evidence of, a variety of, of, of gray races. Um, and they're all very different, too. Uh, not not just a, yeah, some, a standard standard idea, you know. It's, from what they, I'm they've got different origins, different planets. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, because from what I'm hearing a lot lately is there's some that seem biological. And a lot of people investigate it. So I do some interviews even off podcast. And a lot of people are in agreement. So like your theory on the, the really, when I say advanced robots, I mean, the skin texture is, it feels pretty plausible, right? It's just, it looks like a body just with their consciousness uploaded. But they also say for the same, there's a large group of them and they're typically like the drones, the, the workers. And then there's the larger ones that seem more biological that have more say or more influence anyhow. You know, I, a couple of years ago now, uh, I, uh, a, a project was opened up to MUFON field investigators. 
And we were asked for if those of us who were interested, uh, if we wanted to sound in on any of about 25 uh, great questions about uh, extraterrestrials and UFOs. And they ran, run the range from religion to eating to customs to the technology to uh, just all kinds of areas of expertise. And I have actually chose two questions to write a paper about and to research. And that's what we were all asked to do. And there was quite a number of those investigators that did become part of the project. And, the, and just to also get, let you know that at the tail end of the project, it was all put together into a report, which is being refined and it'll come out in some kind of a format. Who, who knows, maybe in the next year or so. Right. But anyway, the, the two questions I <coughs> responded to was, um, one question was, uh, if it was uh, proven without a doubt that extraterrestrials exist, what would be the effect on the world's major religions, Christianity, Hindu, I mean, um, Islam, and uh, Judaism? That's good because that's a question I ask often. And so I, I have my, my take on it. I did one, one paper. The second paper, which has a direct reference to some of your, your comments here today, is no uh, ET has been observed eating or drinking. Given that fact, <clears throat> what are the ramifications? <clears throat> so my take on it was, well, first, I think the question's written wrong because I've read n numerous books and heard talks about, by credible people about the fact that ETs actually do eat. And so that was the take that my paper took. And I showed all the different uh, resources and uh, witnessing by various people on, on that topic. And interestingly enough, the, the Greys are well known to be one of the uh, top agricultural uh, food raisers. And so if you're doing that, you're not doing it just so you can sell it to some other galaxy. Right. Yeah, if I had to build a machine, so hypothetically, for a lot of people like myself who think the smaller grays are robotic, if I had to build a machine that was lifelike and it had to, it, it, like when I say fuel for it, if you ingest fuel from the mouth, gravity usually helps out when getting to the rest of the cells of the machine, correct? So it would it would be the same kind of structures as, as any being, uh, you, you, through the mouth and then it, the fuel goes through wherever the cells may be, whatever parts of the, that the body of that robot are and expelled the same way, perhaps. Right. But as far as them eating, I don't, you know, I'm glad you said something because that's just a theory I'm running on. I've never heard, I never heard of them eating or drinking. So that's a good point. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to note that. You know, there's another uh, possibility too, that uh, perhaps the taller ETs, uh, have created some of the smaller ones uh, as as robotics. But when you do that, who do we tend to uh, envision when we create robots uh, that that would interact with humans? We try to make them look like us, don't we? Right, of course. That's the, that, so that's the goal. Would a gray not do the same? Absolutely. You know, and efficiently, too, because people say, well, their bodies are frail, they have no muscle. Yeah, 
you know how strong cable is? <laughs> I mean, like, when you're making it a sophisticated, advanced robot, it doesn't need muscle mass to be strength, right? I mean, we've proven this over time with just steel wire, let alone more advancements. So they don't need to have a, a, a like a large body. The the heads are large. Why? That's the computer. Same for us, by the way. Our our brains are computer. It's the hub. It's it's the control center. But for them, when they they don't need muscles to to you know stabilize their body, it's a you know again a machine, right? So the only thing larger is going to be the scanners, which need to scan the eyes, and the brain would. I mean, for me, you know, where they upload consciousness, if that's my theory holds water, yeah. you know what I mean? There's there's factors there. But in your so yeah. Adam, from, from my experience, I've had two encounters. Uh, I, mine started out where I had uh, uh, what I call lucid dreams. And from that experience, I had encounters with very tall, uh, I call them white robed because they were emanating such white light uh, when I was on board the craft. And they showed me a gray. And it's like they had it under its control, okay, or, or under their control. And from that, uh, I got the sense they, they wanted me to see one, so I'd recognize it. And then immediately in the months after that experience, a series of dreams I had in 2009, then I started seeing them in their craft. And like Margie's reported, uh, I'm a remote viewer also. And I've actually gone on board one of their orbs with a gray and engaged it and that was when I understood that they have consciousness, just like we do. Right. Because I could actually hear them communicate telepathically. Did you – so in your observation, did – so here, again, and I get, everything I say is in theory, right? Mm -hmm. This is the curiosity yeah. of a child speaking. I always – now, not then, but now, when I heard them speak in telepathy, when I heard those – when you read those reports stemming back from now, hundreds of years ago, and then you see us – with the advent of Bluetooth, right? And then you look what Elon's doing. Yeah. He's, he's putting these chips in your brain. He could send basically information not using your mouth. I have to think that's their form of Bluetooth, their telepathy. The ability to tap that, bearing in mind that in your head, you have crystals and fluids in your in your head, mm -hmm. and certain wavelengths can be detected, and that's proven. If I had yeah. a sinus infection, and the sensitivity in my ears were very strange to that period, I could hear really high pitched sounds and it would give me headaches, right? And, and that's from a sinus issue. Let alone the fact if you again you meditate, you practice, and you put your brain to work. Your brain's very powerful if you focus it on any one yes. thing. So, yeah, I, st I I I I stand behind these statements. But in your observation of them with the consciousness, did it give you the the sense of like? I don't know, like biology or like when I say uploaded consciousness, you, you know. This is a, a being in the smaller ones uploading their consciousness, and they could essentially think and behave as they as they feel. But in it, your observation, did they did they seem biological? Uh, the first one they showed me felt biological, but those that I encountered uh, that I'd seen in the orbs and I actually communicated with, uh, I have a, a story to tell you that is unbelievable, but. As I was uh, practicing uh, this uh, ability to do the quantum UFO observation, I actually had an orb stop over my house. I could see it through the camera. I could see it wearing my polarized sunglasses. 
it sat there for five minutes and it kept saying, he can see us now. He can see us now. He kept saying it over and over. And there were other orbs that just came in uh, close to its position. And I stood there for probably five minutes and could look through the flip camera screen and watch this. And I could see the little head moving in, in the orb. And I've caught others. And out of that, with my remote viewing, uh, I was actually able to go and engage an orb once uh, and got on board. And there was a gray on board. And uh, I pushed him out of the way, or it out of the way, and took control of the craft. Now, I, I am a private pilot, so I know how to fly aircraft and what it looks like at about the altitude, which would have been about three or 4,000 feet in the air. And I quickly realized how to navigate or use this, how, how they were working, because I could see what it was doing before I got uh, surprised it, basically. And I sent it out of control. And I also have all of that on film and 10 series shots of it breaking up in the atmosphere over my house. Wow. And that led up to the story where they kept trying to keep, uh, uh, they did, uh, somebody did EMP strikes on my computers and tried to uh, uh, disengage the hard drive, everything uh, for a couple of months. And I had stored everything on DVD, which is holographic and they couldn't touch it. Uh, but they basically messed up two of my computers. They quit doing that after I engaged this this uh, gray. Whoa. And ever since then, everything's been positive. So, you know, Bob Lazar, his description of what he, what he the, the craft he alleged, I'm not going to mm -hmm. say alleged, in his experience. I, I, happen yes. to think, I happen to think, I'm going to give some water to Bob Lazar, say because some of the things he talked about back in the 80s now make sense, right? Maybe then you could scrutinize them. Now, not so much. Um. A few things with Bob Lazar. The thing he described and how they propel is evident in a military video now. The description mm -hmm. of the inside of the craft seemed, you know, as he described it, uh, featureless, no buttons, no nothing. Um, but he did state that he could see the smaller seats. And so it's there's got to be – I say this for UFOs. They're like our cars. There's a lot of models. No one is the same. They all have their own purpose, right? Every, yes. Yeah, like the Tic Tac could be transport. We don't know for certain, but what it, what it is for certain right now, in our, as we are, all the cars that we have around us, they're they're not the same car. They're going to change. The 50, cars from the 50s and a car from today, completely different. Same be said for, you know, ET. You know, these, these could be their new models for all we know. In your experience, though, the controls for that, were they, were they like what you would find in a plane, or was it more flat-surfaced? Yeah. It was all on a flat surface, and if I put my hands out, I didn't have to touch anything, but it was all based on thought control. Yep. And I basically could look around 360 and see everything around me like I'm standing out over the edge of a building, basically, or supported, and I could see 360 around me. And I remember the same feeling when I used to fly aircraft and was learning, and I had to do spins. And I said, well, we're going to send this into a spin and I'm getting out of here, okay, and see what happens. And basically, I sent it out of control. I threw a lot of negative energy, the same kind that I felt from one of them in the past, and it completely sent this out of control and they, this thing couldn't respond. And it actually broke up over my house. Like I said, it was about 4,000 feet is what I estimated. Right. And I have it in a, a series of 10 uh, stills because I got back into my body and I already had my camera aimed up in that area because of where I was standing. 
And uh, I put that sequence together. Uh, I've, I think I've shown Margie this in the past uh, after it happened. And this was in 2010. Uh, so we're going back a few years. So, you know. And, and yes, they do have different models because I've remote viewed on other craft and they all look different, function different a little bit. Yeah, it's like you yeah, want, you, you're not going to get inside of a Honda and then get inside of a, yeah. va a van and they're going to be the same yes. thing, right? Yes. You know, um, you're correct. If I, from my, from my perspective as, as let's say my childhood imagination, which is now my adult imagination, it sounds to me like you took over, I think their crafts, again, it's their form of via Bluetooth, right? They're controlling everything with their minds via Bluetooth and their hands are there to stabilize a connection. What it sounds like is you disrupted the connection and they couldn't reestablish in time. Exactly. You're absolutely correct. And, uh, in 2009, 2010, I started having downloads of energy that come down through my head into my arms and head and go on down through my body. Uh, and I could sense energy like the earthquakes that started here in the Midwest, you know, things like that. I already knew when it was going to happen before it ever happened. Yeah. Again, uh, in, in, in your, hours in your head, fluids, yeah. crystals, bone structures mm -hmm. that yes, all great conductors of energy and sound waves. So of course you could be a beacon. Yeah. There's no doubt of that. Right. And, and antenna. Yeah. Antenna. Well, that's yeah, what, that's what it becomes. Receiving. That's what it becomes. Yeah. Legitimately, your brain is an electronical computer. is so complex. We cannot, we're still working to even right. map it, let alone, you know, reassemble right. it. Well, so, Adam, uh, at earlier in my uh, life, I had a near death experience as a young man, uh, uh, just out of adolescence. And um, so I stepped out of my body briefly. And since then, I was, I've always been connected with my ability to have lucid dreams. And that started even more my career was going to go. I always had something tell me, oh, I need to change to this position or go to this job. You know what I mean? Right. And who to contact even. And from that, this is just the next leap. And when my encounter started in 2009 and the lucid dreams, I had three major ones in a row within one month. And then I was shown how to do this uh, uh, quantum UFO observation. They actually showed me, and I had to kind of figure it out, but I, I put it together. And uh, the first time I ever got it on video, a, a white craft uh, flying around over, over the heads of us here in Wichita with my neighbor observing with me. So I had, an, uh, I had a, a witness, and I got it all on camera, and uh, I, everything they showed me worked. And within... Uh, 24 hours after I was shown all of this, I actually got to test it a little bit while I was at work in my daytime job because I happen to have a digital camera in my hand and other people, other engineers, we all saw uh, bright white lights in the daytime uh, to the north, away from the sun. So we knew something was going on. And you take the sunglasses off that we were all wearing polarized or I'd hand them around to others that weren't then they could see it. And if you take them off, you couldn't see it. Huh. And uh, that's when I knew, aha, this is it. They, what they showed me is this technique. So is that, yeah, that good. I'm sorry, Margie, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that's, that's one of the key points that we discuss in the fast movers book. Yeah. Is, is how people could see them in that. And the polarized sunglasses are one of the things that really is, is is a needed item. So we're, we're coming at this from a technical nuts and bolts aspect, as well as a 
telepathic communication aspect. Huh. Before my next question, I'll, I'm going to add something to that. I just, someone contacted me recently and brought up that they were having better luck finding things in the sky using blue blocker glasses. Hmm. I don't, that I, I've, that's the only person I've ever heard say that to me. That's the only one made that statement. Uh, I'm not going to call her out, but I bought blue blockers. So I'm going to try. So, um, is it common, uh, Mark, you, for all of you, I guess. I mean, Bill had a near that near death experience. Is that a sh- common shared thing for people that are capable of remote viewing? It is, uh, and capable of many other things as well after a near-death experience. That's one of the common things that all of the research shows. Right. But some of us just have it, the ability naturally. Some, it you know, through DNA, uh, most likely, I believe, is the reason. And then also what your environment is around you growing up. If your parents and teachers are open-minded... And don't try to shut you down when you're a kid. You don't block this stuff out. And luckily for me, that's what I had. I had very open-minded parents. And uh, but unfortunately, there, you know, I've talked to many, many witnesses, people who see something or they they finally want to come forward and say something, and they said, "Well, you're the first person I've spoken to in 30 years because." Nobody would let me talk about it. They called called them crazy, or they said it didn't exist and didn't want to discuss it, and it just shut them down. So that just kind of shuts down the brain, really. Yeah, you know. Uh, so it doesn't see anything. It's unfortunate because I'll tell you why. Yeah, I said this in my last part. I said this a lot. No information is bad information. You need it because without information, you can't filter it correctly. Otherwise. You're going to keep things so no one, like, you know, information shared one place. If you're scrutinizing at one place, it, the, the next place is going to say, well, I'm not sharing. You. So I always say there's no bad information. You just know how, you need to know how to filter the information correctly to make a proper assessment. Um, I, you know, kids, kids learn fast. They learn faster than adults. Kids, they're, they're sponges. And as we get older, we, we start to become not biased. We just, we're not open to to learn new things. Our, our interpretation of things are altered because of what we've, you know, we were learned. Like how you said, growing up, what you learn kind of alters your what you're going to believe or disbelieve or what you're going to know or want to know. Kids are open to it all. Um, and I like, that's why I say my, my, when I say my childhood curiosity and now my adult curiosity, because getting involved with this, this subject matter and this podcast and, and the documentary I plan to do, you got to have an open mind and you can't dismiss anything at all, no matter what. I have no no belief system. I have no, you know, no solid ground to stand on. I'm just here to interpret and learn as much as possible. And I hopefully, think that's the best approach. Yeah, I mean, and you're, you're so pretty, that's the only way you're going to get answers. Yeah, I mean, and you have a pretty good team. Um, also, all right. So here, I guess what we're going to do is I'm going to have Wayne. You're with us, yes. Yeah. I want to discuss an experience from you for you that you found. I don't know, your best case you've worked on and the experience you had there, what I guess I should ask. Best case, wow. <clears throat> well, I had quite a lot of them, um, both personal ones as well as ones that I've investigated. And by the way, that's a good thing because 
in anything you do in life, and people want to call you biased, you're not biased. If you have experience, it makes you more approachable to those who have it, more relatable. It makes it easier. Well, I, I have two that I, I find to be my, my favorite ones. Uh, it actually turns out to be three because two of them are related. Um, well, probably the, the, the best actual image I got was uh, a few years ago uh, of, a, of a saucer. Was It was just a random, <laughs> and I'll, in my reports, you'll be surprised how many times I use the word random. Because truly, I, 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 when I decide to go out and do something, it's usually kind of random, which means I might be sensing something as to this is a good time to go out and take a picture. I don't know. But um, uh, so I pointed my, my camera was on a tripod, took some video. It wasn't until later when I was looking at it that I noticed something, and it's this saucer going down through the screen. It took half a second to go through. Once I had it analyzed, uh, I forget the amount now, but it was traveling about, oh, it was over 12,000 miles an hour. And this is just seconds before it entered, entered the water. And so that's one of my favorites because I've got the video sequence of it. And it's just real, real nice and clear. Many images that you get, and me included, are are not as clear. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, usually at nighttime. The naked eye sees things better than any camera you're going to come across. It's unfolding with the exception of some of the, like I bought a really high-end camera for the for the purpose of doc being you know doing a documentary and even still your the naked eye still got strength as far as recognizing something for what it is yeah but i didn't see this of course because it was just a random video i was taking and i wasn't even nice saw, saw nothing in fact when i when you do the playback uh you have to oh wait a minute what, what, what did something just go by and <laughs> yeah it's only when you then go frame by frame oh my gosh look at that thing but anyway, so that was one of my favorite ones. But um, <laughs> a few years ago, I had left a, uh, a conference. It was a weekend conference. I was coming back to the house. Um, it was a paracon, it's what it's called, paranormal conference. And I was entering the neighborhood, and I saw what uh, I'd seen actually a couple years earlier. A, a very unusual, I will call it maybe a strobe-like action, because the, the repetition, the fast blinking nature of the light, um, and it was spherical, as it would broadcast these uh, flashes out. Um, but this time, instead of being just one that was traveling through the sky, making that kind of a, a strobing almost of, of energy. There was two of them, and in the middle was a red sphere, kind of tying them together, and it, was tra and it was traveling as a unit. And it went, basically, I was getting ready to turn into our neighborhood. It went through the, the direction of our neighborhood, but right towards a lake, which is where I see many of the craft coming up from and going into that lake. How, so large, is, how large is that lake? 
oh, it's a good sized lake. Okay, so um, so you could obviously something could like submerge in there. It's pretty deep. I'm pretty. Uh, <laughs> several of us are convinced that there's a base underneath, or several bases. Huh. Uh, the yeah, I'm, uh, th- there's too many too many cases of I, I see them every day going up up from the lake, going down into the lake at all hours of the day. Yeah, I mean this 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 is not far off from something the military is discussing uh, a video where. A craft was above water and submerged effortlessly, no splash. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm yeah. starting to find a, tr- a pattern with, with water, no matter where yeah. it is, whether it be ocean or large lakes. And when I investigated the depth of the lake, uh, I went to the Army Corps of Engineers who built the lake in the early 80s. And they said, oh, yeah, it's about, uh, about 55 uh, feet deep. And I, it's because I had been seeing from uh, satellite images of the lake, what at times looked like different shapes in the lake. So I was just curious to know, were there previous structures down there? Says, oh, no, no, we just made the, the, the base of the lake flat. And so there was nothing at all down there. They just bulldozed the whole area to be flat. And so that it would be about 55 foot deep. And so, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what what better place to hide something in deep water where visibility becomes questionable, yeah. you know, uh, and then yeah. pressure, you know, temperature. Yeah, I mean, that's more it feasible could, than anything else. It could be that there are some structures there. I think it's more likely, however, that they're on the other side of the lake. They're actually in the in the earth. How the heck would any of us ever go down there to see? We you would. Know, there's just no way we'd ever, we'd ever be able to go down. Yeah, no average person's going to do that. If they're, if like you're saying, if there's the, the opening at the edge of a lake that goes underground, that's yeah, that's not only is that an ingenious setup, but how how do you inspect that? You really can't. Yeah, it's not like you can dig in a hole. You know. Well, not to not to mention that we try to get a diver in there, and uh, they will not allow diving in that lake. So that makes you wonder why. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was part one of that that experience. So a week later, uh, and I had come home at about 9, 9 p.m. that night when I saw that, the, the two strobe lights with the red sphere in between. So a week later, exact same time, I was in my living room. We have three big picture windows. And then above that, we have a real high ceiling, living room, three more that don't have blinds, but the ones down below do. And my wife had wanted the, the blinds shut that particular evening. And so I had a, I was getting ready to sit down and watch some TV. And I noticed it was 9 p.m. It was the same, it was Friday night. And I remember thinking out to myself, oh, this is the exact same time I saw that craft a week ago. It was right now at 9 p.m. Oh, gosh, I'd never see it because the blinds are closed. And if it happened to come through again, I would not see it within less than five seconds. There it goes, across the top of the three higher windows. Now this time it was in the shape of a, of a triangle with two strobes on the bottom and the red sphere at the top. So I, it, was, it had read my mind, was there in the area, and was showing me, okay, we're not actually in the line, we're actually more triangular. It had read my mind. Yeah, you know, it's 
So I'm not look. A friend of mine brought this to my attention. I, I never gave it a second thought. But we're talking about technology now, and I swear that maybe it's coincidence. I'm not not entirely sure, but there's some times where I thought of something, and I'll see it advertised on, like, say, Facebook later that day. And I don't want to say that they're capable, of, but you know, again, technology. Don't know how, but I, you know, what are the chances of me thinking about a specific item, and later on that evening, it's being displayed for for sale on on some advertisement on Facebook? Said. So now imagine something larger with a greater, I guess, computer on board. Who knows? There's, there, it's hard to dispute the capability of technology, especially now. It's really hard. Um, I, you know, years ago to discuss nanotechnology. I haven't. Have you? Has any, have any of you really heard anything more about nanotechnology lately? I well, have. I go ahead, Margie. No, go ahead, Bill. Well, I was uh, conversing with somebody the other day about that and uh, what they call nanobots, for lack of a better word, that's the expression that's being used. Right. And uh, how they're artificially, uh, it's artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, and they can be basically uh, energized, uh, much like the uh, quantum effects. Uh, I didn't, you know, you deal with quantum science, but it, it deals with quantum theories, and that's how it, how it's even powered, and how all of this is is being uh, used. When they when they get energized, then uh, there's things that can happen. That uh, there's uh, I, I, it's hard to yeah, put I know your you're mind saying. around, but there's a field around us. Yeah, and it's this quantum conscious field, and they can inter interact with it yeah, through from, from what uh, I electro uh, dynamics from what I read and this is this is a, in a, in a science mag from some time ago they could recharge with any light any light any source mm -hmm. of light let alone sunlight and I, I was unaware when they say nanotechnology I, I you know I always again it's childlike you know mind I maybe see this tiny thing flying around but evidently they're nano means just that they're, they're, you, un, you cannot see it with the naked eye mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've stopped hearing about that in mainstream media and otherwise some years ago, never gave it a second thought until I, I saw this, this um, article on it. And there's a, a, a scientist in, I believe in Europe, who's trying to get this to help combat against viral infection. Hmm. And it, I never, it, I didn't, I, was, I remember sitting there saying like, wow, I haven't heard anyone mention nanotechnology in a long time, like not a big deal. So maybe is there a reason to suppress? I don't know. Or maybe there's something better. No clue. Um, be. before we, before we close up the evening, what is from the three of you, what, what, what is a general consensus of why extraterrestrials are here? Oh, that's a big question. I think there are, there's evidence to point to the fact that they've been here for a long time and probably before humans even, and that they have really colonize the earth and and they live in the mountains and they live you know underwater underwater bases there's a lot of evidence to point to that and there could be others visiting uh what like i said earlier interdimensional we know that they study things because people have seen them taking samples of of plants and things and, and taking them. Some people have been on craft and they've seen animals and humans kind of like in a zoo type of situation. 
Huh. Um, some people have been on gigantic motherships with hundreds and hundreds of people all abducted around the same period of time and having experiments done on them. You know, obviously they're doing testing. Obviously there, there's something to do with genetics and with uh, creating hybrid beings. There, there's just a number of explanations and any number of reasons why they would be here and, and you know, what their agenda is. I, there was a case a little while ago that uh, I was doing some analysis for in which you can, you can actually see a craft, a fast mover, going through the contrail of a jet. Now, why would it, with all the space that's everywhere around a jet, why would it choose to go through a contrail? Because you could actually see that it's only about, what, as it went through, it was a certain size, but when it's actually in the contrail, you only see it about made just the top third of it. Right. And so that you know that it's going in the contrail intentionally. Why? More likely to study something. Yeah, I mean, think about this. I, I, you'll, hear, you'll hear me repeat this a lot. I've said it in pretty much every podcast. If we were all walking through Central Park, we looked down and saw an ant pile, and they were driving combustion engine cars and flying planes and shooting bombs at each other. We're closing that park down, and it's under observation indefinitely to watch how they evolve, right? We would want to see from afar how that unfolds, how, how do they evolve as a species and so on, right? They, they, Long-term studies. And that's what I have to believe, or at least my theory is, I, I have to believe somewhere that we're being studied because if... I just talked about it. We're a unique species. There's some upsetting stuff and there's some good stuff. Like the upsetting part is, you know, 2021, we're still racist. How the hell is that possible? You know, like by, by now we should have been over that. The other thing is if we were deaf, if we were a, a, a reality show to, to, I guess for them to watch, how entertaining <laughs> we're out of control. It's yeah. super, you have wars, you have comedy, you have tragedy. God knows there's plenty of murder on this planet. They have, they would have a billion channels and still have content to come. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah it's not far fetched that we'd now, be there's, studied. There's, there's a lot of reasons why uh, various uh, uh, extraterrestrials are here, either colonizing or on their way through. There's one group that has been written about called the Tall Whites. Uh, they live deep in a, in a mountain range down near one of uh, Nellis Air Force Base, <clears throat> and uh, They've been here since about 800 uh, AD. And essentially what they do is they facilitate uh, those from their own home planet who go out to other parts of the galaxy. And um, so the group that's here uh, welcomes a ship that comes in who has been going for, oh, maybe a year or so, or several months at least. Um, and so in order to refurbish the, the energy and supplies and so on, uh, take about a month to, to get it all ready to continue on to wherever their destination is. And while they're here, the, the occupants are really curious about what's, what's going on on this planet. And so they'll take them on little tours and show them around. So it's just an, an incredible, you know, the diversity of the reasons why uh, they would be here. So are, are you guys finding any parallels between, say, aliens and ghosts? Because when, when you speak interdimensional, 
And as I go and I learn, I'm talking to more paranormal people as well. And I, I really have no theory on ghosts. I that I have no clue. I mean, I can't dismiss it because it's impossible to dismiss. The only thing I'm, the only subject I'm really struggling with is is Bigfoot. Just because, again, there's been we found smaller animals in large, more vast forests before with less equipment. But when I say the parallel between ghosts and, and extraterrestrial. Both could operate in and around dimensions because everything I read about Skin Skinwalker Ranch, that that place, if there's anywhere that I'm gonna event, eventually go to, to to document, that place frightens me the most, just based on story. And I'm not I'm not not gonna go because believe like I told you guys, I'm the guy that dies early in the movie. I'm going. Um, <laughs> hopefully I get to see something. Uh, but either way, just everything I read there sounds like all these things use dimensional movement. Yep. But from my uh, perspective, all of this can move uh, into higher or lower dimensions. And I believe even if you study string theory, it has predicted that there's at least six dimensions. And out of that, uh, you can you can begin. It's it's a frequency thing, a vibration is how I look at it, that we may have uh, another dimension and it's just right here next to our 3D dimension. And because of that, uh, space and time are also related into it, which gets into what they call the QED vacuum, which is the uh, uh, quantum electrodynamic vacuum that's that's uh, in operation. Uh, I don't think it's a theory anymore. I mean, they've done, uh, uh, you know, tests they call the slit light experiment and things like that that were done by uh, the uh, physicist John Wheeler. Uh, he uh, determined that we are what determine if light will behave like a particle or a wave. So, you know, those are going in and out of the uh, quantum vacuum. So, yes, I believe there's at least six, they've predicted mathematically, six other dimensions exist. I mean, it makes sense. Like, listen, I, I hear people talk about their DMT experiences and what they're seeing. and. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's what it's doing is just opening your mind and giving you the ability to see those dimensions or most right. of them anyhow. Right. Cause it, the, the power of the brain is it's pretty, it's, it's scary how strong your brain is. You know, that same curiosity I have that same um, imagination can also play it as a weapon against me sometimes because I, I turn to a hypochondriac sometimes just based on certain symptoms. I, I overanalyze things and that goes for everything. And that lets you know how strong your brain is, right? So imagine if you're trying to channel, even with the util utilizing um, DMT, yeah, I, I have to imagine that it would definitely open your mind's eye to see something you would otherwise not be able to perceive. Yeah. Well, I do have a video that I've caught two craft coming through what I call a wormhole. Uh, there's a donut hole that opens up. I mean, it all happens within a blink of an eye and it's all over. I mean, uh, it's like two frames almost that's uh, a, that's and I, a... with my video equipment to slow it down. And uh, I've talked to some other uh, astrophysicists uh, in the past uh, that I've reached out to. And we're kind of in agreement that this donut hole uh, represents an opening up and the uh, outlet for a, uh, a, uh, a warp. Uh, you know, to warp space and time. Right. They're interrelated. And this was the outlet. And they came in, and, and there's actually two craft came in at the same time, which is another oddity because I 
coined in about 2010, I kept seeing craft flying in tandem pairs. That's the word I use, tandem pairs. I mean, they're there and they're, they're different craft, but they look a lot alike, but they're slightly different. And that's another thing with quantum physics is that uh, there are quantum particles. And uh, it's it's same thing where they can do an electrical study and two electrons will be 100 miles apart and yet they'll operate the same. It's like they're in communication. Yeah, you know, there's, there's some studies that show um, what affects an atom here affects it across the universe the same. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As I read more of that, it's you know it, it reaffirms to me how little we know as a species. Right, we know very little. Um, I, I suggest. All right, so I guess I'm going to ask for a suggestion. <clears throat> I go out. I'm going to do this documentary. I have this really high end camera. Is it? What do you suggest I should have for lenses and, and other equipment I should have in researching this this topic? Uh. What I what I use for my good video, I mean, I got like a 4K camera. It looks like a 35 millimeter, but it, it shoots 4K. Um, and I've got the typical like 35 millimeter um, lens on it, you know. Because uh, I have so this this I, Canon Vivixia G, uh, G G50 really high end expensive yeah. camera. So I don't get know. a linear polarizer. A linear. Don't get an or yeah, try getting a polarizer. And our book tells about okay. that, uh, explains everything, what I use and what I, I found out. I don't need a high end at this point. I can even see them with a cell phone camera. Yeah, and I have an old cell phone camera. A yeah, 5C. a lot of people are getting them with the, especially the newer cell phone cameras that take uh, more frames per second. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you'll capture a lot more, uh, especially with the fast movers. Yeah. And, and you'll want to use, you'll want to take video. So you yeah. get a bunch Video. of frames, right. yeah, yeah, and, and use a tripod. I I've got it all. I when I got invested in this, when I mean when I say invested, I got invested. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all in right now. Adam, after I got doing this, I can actually meditate, use their process. Uh, I go outside; they're not even moving anymore. These larger crafters start to show up, and I get messages actually, which uh, are quite interesting. Um, and I'm usually going to show somebody else that I've, I'm uh, I'm coaching to help them awaken. Uh, there's a young person, uh, I say young, he's younger than me, uh, who's going to be coming back uh, after I got into the conversation with him last week. And he's totally fascinated. In fact, he's even going to take the remote viewing class that Margie offers. That yeah, probably, he's very I'm, interested in this. I'm probably going to be doing that. Trust me. I said, listen, when I, this, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not saying things to be, you know, a jerk, but I think people that pray don't realize that what they're doing is they're, they're meditating when they're praying yes. and, and they're using frequencies by when you pray or meditate really hard, identically the same, you're opening up frequencies in your mind, right? That's, that is exactly right, Adam. Yeah. yeah and I, it's all a matter of vibratory rate. Yeah. Yes. And, and as you increase your vibratory rate, you get on the same level or dimension as the other higher beings and in higher dimensions with and their craft as well. And then you can not only observe them, but communicate with them. And intention is, is a important aspect yeah. of it too. Yeah. In fact, I, I find, uh, I, I'm, I'm a massage therapist on the side and I, uh, uh, learned how to do Reiki. And I find that Reiki is really 
like a, a higher form of prayer. Yeah, I mean, so for me, like I was telling you guys earlier, when I would shoot pool prior to, you know, I would, I would, I would start this meditation thing, you know, just before leaving, and that was only to develop focus. And I remember intently, I, I followed this video and I read some small articles at the time, and I followed it pretty, pretty strongly. And you could feel that sense of like, I don't want to call it sleepy, like, but you know that feeling you feel when you're falling asleep when you're really at peace. That's what I was finding, and the ability for me to focus at the task at hand. So again, when it comes to prayer and meditation, it's just you're you're using frequency, and that's what people the response people get. I'm not saying religion's not real. I don't knock anything. I'm just saying there's power in our mind for perception that we don't every day use. And I, what what I found is that your emotions play into this. Our emotions are very powerful. Oh, we either absolutely. have negative emotion or you have positive emotion. Yeah, and I, how you live your life and where you want to stay at has a lot to do with it. The yeah. ability to do this. I use caution with the most. Yeah, I agree with that. Emotions are a tricky business because mm -hmm. to love someone when someone's like, Oh, I love you. Like that's a loosely used word. Yes. Like my aunt and my mom and, and I don't love them. I honor and respect them because honor and respect is indefinite. Love is one of those things, you know, depends on your mm -hmm. time, what you feel that day, you know, that could alter. Mm -hmm. Or you could fade one or the other, fall in love, right. fall in love. But honor and respect, that, you, that's forever. You can't I part agree. with it. I agree. So, I mean, I, I try to base all things on that. And it's not using logic it's, and, or common sense. It's just it's a, a state of a feeling that's greater than just a loosely used four-letter word. You know what I mean? It, it's just showing respect for others, your neighbor, uh, right. you know, that type of thought. Uh I, as I said, I've normally reached out when I do my meditation in the beginning uh, because I remember how it felt when I was in my near death because it was very peaceful. OK, I mean, I didn't feel any pain anymore. Everything. It was like I was in another dimension. And I remember what that felt like. So I've tried to remember that. And so I go to that place for my memory and I start there and then I reach out. And over time, you know, you can visualize things or where you uh, like we go into the book where you want to uh see the craft appear and they usually do you just wait and they'll show up i definitely get to practice that i definitely have to practice it because you know again it's not so much that i'm going to make a documentary to just i'm going to document everything i'm doing i'm again i i'm literally out to satisfy some some childhood curiosity which is now translated to my adult curiosity and I'm going to build a network and like you guys and several other people I've spoken to in these podcasts, eventually in December, a couple times in December, I'm going to have one large meet and greet in, in the, you know, on zoom when everyone joins and just speak your cases, your peace and, and meet one another, you know, move yeah. on people. I, if I have to be the platform, so be it. And just you have in, in general, there should be some platform that where everyone could get together and just, you know, get to know one another. Like I think, Stacy Wright and you guys should know one another and and Mike Penicello like there's people I want to I'm going to have this happen I'm, I'll be glad to have you guys join it you know what I mean mm -hmm. well yeah that's that sounds great we, we actually do have we have a MUFON field investigator group that um, we put together maybe a year ago and uh, now uh, Wayne runs it. And well, we also have we have a chat chat group, and then uh, a Zoom meeting every Thursday night, and field investigators from all over are welcome to join. In fact, it starts up in about forty five minutes. Right. 
Perfect. Yeah. Listen, yeah. it's I, I enjoy talking to you guys. I enjoy learning more. I'm, and I again, the goal here, and look, I'm different. A lot of people they get on the podcast and they're a little weary. I guess they're you know twice bitten. I'm very. This is this format I have is very laid back. This is as good as us sitting around having coffee, right? Yeah, I'm not invasive, and I have no real position on anything. I'm, I want people to speak freely, and I said this before, and I'll say it again: no information is bad information for anyone. It's just how you filter it, what you learn from it, and what you what you're going to perceive, and how you're going to move forward. And for me to go out and document, and learn more about this subject and other subjects, I have to be an open mind because you can't speak to a closed one. It's not going to happen. This is part of the awakening. That's what I labeled this about a decade ago. It's an awakening process. And I've reached out and taught many, many people, uh, just like Margie has uh, over the over a time period, uh, when they start opening their minds up and, and understanding that, well, wait a minute, there's more to life than this, than what you see. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's really an awakening process. That's that's the best words I can use. And, and also, Adam, we are making our own documentary film uh, coming up in the spring. Bet. I will join. I will, I will, I will combine efforts. <laughs> Believe me. I will, I will utilize my contacts. Like you guys just to, I, at the end of the day, if you told me I will, they'll give me a million dollars to make a really exciting documentary. I'm going to turn it down because it, it's more valuable for me to have the experience and actually see something than it is to have millions of dollars. It's truth. You can't. Well, I'll tell you what. You come out, hang out with us for a day, and you'll see something. Perfect. I'm excited to do so. Well, Margie, Wayne, Bill, I had a great talk with you guys. Um, I'm going to have you on again, certainly, and I would love to maintain contact. Like I said, I'm going to build a network. We're going to do this again and again. I'm going to utilize my contacts. I would. I genuinely like talking to you guys. Oh, appreciate the opportunity. Yep, thank you. Thank, thank you for you. being on. I again, I really, I'm really happy you guys came on. We'll talk again soon, guys. Yep. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.